You are now listening to High Five the Podcast, a movie podcast for people who like other stuff too. Now let's join our hosts Q and J as they broadcast live from the writer's room. The show starts in one... Yeah, Stephen King shares his stuff. See, okay, I love Stephen King, but he always says everything like he's a part of is great, so, which is not the case. Well, yeah, like he was over the moon for like Graveyard Shift. Right. So yeah. you know, I take it with a grain of salt, even though I love the man. Right. So when he shares like a trailer and is like, or with the Dark Tower, which I'm super excited sure. for, but nervous about because of all the reshoots, the pushbacks, and the lack of utter promotion for any of the film whatsoever by sure. Fox, um, makes me nervous. Uh, but so when he shares it, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. You're like, cool and, your jets, Stephen King. Need I remind you of Maximum Overdrive? Right. Uh, which he, the trailer for that, if you remember the trailer for that, was literally him going, I'm going to scare you to death <laughs> right. or some bullshit. Like, okay. And also, he has something to gain from people watching that show, yeah. of course. Um, but it's hard to beat Darabont's version. Like, that's I, the thing with The Mist, is I will watch the show, but it is super hard to beat what Darabont did. And I hold uh, up, and I'm going to ask you as a fellow Stephen King fan, as I'll say you're a fellow Stephen King way more than I am fan, but I still feel like Dar- nobody does Stephen King better than Darabont. Like, I feel like no. some of his adaptations are the best adaptations. Oh, not some, hands down. Not some of all of his. Like, Shaw, I mean, uh, he didn't do Shawshank, but he did Green Mile, didn't he? Um, the Mist, obviously, is his. I mean, hell, he even did a Dollar Baby when he was in film school for The Woman in the Room, which was a, uh, a night shift short story. Like, that's what he that's kind of what he did as his student thesis as a passion project. And yes, Darabont does Stephen King better than anybody. No, he did do Shawshank. He does it better than anybody because I feel like Darabont has the ability to capture sort of realistic human emotions and realistic humans in the same way that Stephen King can capture them on page, but not quite on screen. Oh, I 100% agree. So I think I think Darabont should always do like I know in the eighties and nineties like Dino De Laurentiis uh, right. like, did a million of them and they're all pretty much garbage. Um, but like Darabont should it should only be him from now on. Yes, that, that I agree. There'd be like no one else is allowed to do it. Yeah, I kind of wish he did the Dark Tower to be honest. You're right, that didn't have anything to do with what we're talking (laughs) about today. Uh, Because what we are talking about today is something near and dear to our hearts, uh, which is single-run seasons of good TV shows. (laughs) You know, some may call them guilty pleasures. But yeah, no, single-run TV shows that were extremely high quality should not have been canceled after one season, and that we hold near and dear to our hearts. And our farts. And our... Well, Salute Your Shorts isn't on this list because it oh, ran shit. multiple seasons. Oh, shit. I see what you did there. Ah! As a matter of fact, Jay. Yeah. Q. You ready to give me a high five? I want to. Let's high five it. High five. High five. Should we high five? High five. High five. High five. High five. High five, son. Woo. High five. Don't leave me hanging. We learn together. But alone. Doom. 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 
So I was, I was <laughs> as I was saying to you earlier today, I think it's amazing that we managed to make it past season one, and people are still allowing us to put out a season two. We legitimately should be on this list. We but should we're be. not because we refuse to die. We they gave us the cancel notice <laughs> yeah. like twenty seven times, one for each one of our episodes. I really believe it's sort of like an office space Milton situation where they're like, we've canceled them, and they just and then like, oh, should we tell them to clean out their podcast room and the writers room and go home? It's like, no, we've canceled them. Right. It will work itself out. Right. It'll be fine. So we just don't like there's no one listening right now and we don't even know it. Actually, even weirder, our mics just aren't even on. They're not plugged into anything. Mine's plugged into a loaf of cheese. <laughs> Mine is just plugged into an electrical outlet <laughs> and it makes my face very stingy. It does. <laughs> it does. I mean, the thing is, we keep getting notes from the producers and we're like, fuck you, producers. Right. And by the way, I would appreciate it if you would stop responding to my <laughs> emails that way. Every time I email you with a show note, if but you would stop just responding just, with fuck you, producers. <laughs> I, I put the S on there to make it seem more important when it's really just you. Just you. Yeah. <laughs> just me and you. Yeah. I know. And see, the weird part is I have responded to all of yours with just pictures of my dick. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was uh, weird, but appropriate. Right. It I seemed guess. right. Yeah. Sometimes things just feel right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's what everybody in these canceled too soon type series have done. Right. It felt right. Mm-hmm. But somebody else was just like, yeah. nah, I'm yeah. not into that dick. And then they just send the dick pic back. And then it just says, done. <laughs> yes. And then everybody packs up and takes their dicks home and <laughs> nary a dick to be seen ever again from these folks. But what I did think was weird was when I was putting this list together, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was going to be. Because for the most part, when I think of one season run television shows, I usually think of guilty pleasures. Like things that are like, oh, well, I really like this. But sure. You know, I don't know how many other people do, but a lot of these have huge cult followings. I will agree with that. Absolutely. The trend that I noticed was almost every single one of them had problems with the network and producer notes. And they either they either accepted the producer notes and that ruined the ratings of the show or they didn't accept the producer's notes and the network got pissed and canceled them. Like, regardless, either way, not a good situation. Yes. So I, that will that will be a theme that we talk about as we go through this list for me because it was so weird how it just kept popping up every single time. Like, oh, I really like this show. Why was it canceled? Oh, they took producer notes and no one listened, watched anymore. Right. But and then it's like, oh, or they didn't take producer notes and the network just canceled them out of spite. Which is also just shitty. awful. It's just a shitty, shitty situation. Well, because some of these really should have had super long lives especially longer than some of the schlock that's out there now oh i i definitely agree plus um for me when we were making this list um like you had mentioned a lot of these were guilty pleasure shows for me so they're shows that i know i genuinely like and will watch on a regular basis i'm not 100 percent sure that the rest of the country or right. world feels that way um there are definitely a couple on here that i know for a fact other people are behind me they support me i feel like we're going to share a couple of those i have no doubt we usually do um but what i will say is um i was talking to people in preparation for this episode and you know i was talking to some coworkers and stuff and i was bringing up and i was like hey man like we've got an episode coming up on uh you know canceled too early television shows and the kind of repeated thing that i kept hearing is yeah but they got canceled like for a reason and I call bullshit on that because that's, a lot of times the reason is nonsense. And that's the argument that I was having. So here's here's kind of what I denoted. Okay. Um, 
just talking about shows that were canceled too early. So as you mentioned, a lot of times they're canceled because either the producers aren't willing to accept some creative control or some release some creative control right. in regards to the show. So therefore they'll cancel it just out of spite. Sometimes the shows can't jive with what the network is needing, so then they make a power play, and they're like, well, we're canceled. We're taking our shit elsewhere, and that doesn't pan out right. because uh, it doesn't get yeah. picked up elsewhere. Um, but a lot of times, it's it's made off of – the decision is made off of a numbers game, too, mm-hmm. which in a lot of these situations really hurts because in some of these, while the viewership ratings were relatively low – Critical praise may have been way right. high, but also the show quality was way high. Mm-hmm. And it was just because either A, it had a shitty time slot. Yes. It was talk about that. B, yeah. not promoted correctly or well enough on behalf of the network. I have a couple of those. Um, and so for me, I, I very strongly was arguing with those coworkers. I was like, no, that doesn't mean that a good show can't sneak by. It's the same reason that, you know, you and I run across sleeper hit movies all the time. Mm-hmm. Movies that are absolutely fucking fantastic and should run circles around the blockbuster tinpole movies. But they don't yeah. for whatever reason. They were released at the wrong time. February. Right. There or was... they were released against something else. Sure. That, you know, they just couldn't compete against. Yes, like a shitty Transformers movie right. that they know this indie sleeper hit isn't going to compete against, but they release it in a limited run, and then they say, well, look, it didn't... See, it didn't we make, knew yeah, it. It didn't make box office bank. It's like you released it in a terrible, terrible place. <laughs> you released it for one hour on the last Sunday of the month. <laughs> yeah. In only three theaters. and Well, nobody saw it. <laughs> Why didn't Blue Blue Ruin do really well? It's like, well, you projected it against the side of an alley in Seattle for three homeless people who were right. methed out. Listen, j- unlike concerts, secret screenings don't work. <laughs> like, no. You can't not tell anybody about this movie and then expect people yes. to go see it. And that's kind of how a lot of these shows were. So I definitely want to... Go ahead and on air retort all of the people who say one season shows are automatically shitty. They're they're one season for a reason. Right. You are. Ah, I like that. Ah, one, one season, season for, for a reason. reason. You are. It, that's the title of this episode. One season for a reason. <laughs> uh, you uh, you th- you're wrong. Yeah. And I, we are now going to list ten reasons in total yeah. why you are wrong. Right. That. And because every single one of these was a quality television show that should have gotten more attention, praise, promotion, and success than it did. I 100% agree, and I am super excited to hear your list, I'm excited to hear yours. Now, I do have some honorable mentions, but I'll throw those out as we go along. As we've learned. As we've learned, because I will steal yours. (laughs) Right. I almost can guarantee none of my honorable mentions are on your list. Okay. They're ones that I think deserve... Some sort of discussion. Mention. Yes. Okay. Some sort of mention. Okay. So, but I'll start with my list. All right. Do it. My number five is a show from 2006. Okay. Can you guess it? No, nope. probably not. Uh, it's studio 60 on the sunset strip. I have no idea what that is. Very few people do. Okay. Okay. Studio 60 on the sunset strip starred Matthew Perry and Bradley Whitford. Oh, I like both of those people. It was the follow up from Aaron Sorkin to the West wing. I not like that show. And it was set in a late night talk show sketch comedy back room. Sort of like he did with Newsroom or Sports Night. 
Oh, okay. And it was, I love sports night. Yes. I mean, all of his shows are fantastic, and this is no different. And that's one of the reasons that I was so mad that it got canceled. But it was Matthew Perry and Bradley Whitford were like two huge TV producers who were brought back in to save this kind of dying late-night sketch show, a la Saturday Night Live, Mad TV, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. And there's a new studio head um, played by Amanda Peet who Interesting. just – thinks the show is shit. Like she doesn't care about the show and it sort of follows them. And it has all the Sorkinisms that you would expect walking through halls, really quick, the walk, smart, the Sorkin walk and talk always a uh, snappy, funny as hell dialogue. And the acting was fantastic. The problem was <laughs> it got released the same year as 30 rock. Oh, fuck. So it literally It's like an Armageddon Deep Impact. It was exactly Armageddon Deep Impact. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's exactly what this show was is people watched it and they're like, "Oh, I've seen this and this one's funnier." I will be the first to admit that 30 Rock is one of the most brilliant shows that was on television and is way funnier than Studio 60 on the Sunset sure. Strip. Way way funnier. I mean, Studio 60 was an hour-long kind of dramedy. Type show like Sports sure, Night. Yeah. It was very similar to Sports Night. It's just Night. not a full-on cartoon. 30 Rock was more of a no. cartoon. And Matthew Perry was in his best element, like, since Friends. Like, the, the character was perfect for him. He was sort of this downtrodden, genius producer slash writer who was just kind of worn down on life, desperately trying to save this show. I mean, it's perfect for him. The sarcastic, snarky. I mean, can you imagine Chandler Bing with Aaron Sorkin dialogue? No, it was it was amazing to watch. But one of the problems was and this sort of started Matthew Perry's streak of one season, one and dones. Uh-huh. None of them quite could live up to the quality of this one. Like we got Mr. Sunshine. They lasted oh, yeah, like yeah, half yeah. a season. Sure. We got Go On that lasted like, uh, I think, a full season, but then was canceled. I think that one got canceled because everyone thought the name of the show was Goon. Um, but you know, <laughs> that sort of so. started his streak there. <clears throat> and this is technically the only unse- quote unquote unsuccessful Aaron Sorkin show. This is one of the ones though, <clears throat> that I would say the studio messed hmm. up because, um, the studio started giving them Aaron Sorkin notes because their ratings weren't where they wanted them to be, which okay. I 100% contribute to this competition on another network sure. with. 30 Rock. It was the Transformer effect. It literally was. And so they started being railroaded by the network, and they started being given notes on, you have to add, add a love story, you have to add this, and you have to add this, and Sorkin actually did it. This is one of the ones where he took oh, all of all the, the notes, notes and ended up ostracizing all the people who loved the show, but because the studio didn't have faith in it, even though they took the notes... They basically stopped promoting it. They, they moved it to a different time slot. So they lost their entire audience base and had no means to gain a new audience base with the notes the network gave them. Sure. So then they said, oh, it's not successful. And they ended it like three episodes before the season was even done. Ugh, what a nut punch. It was terrible. Now, this is one that I highly recommend people go and search out because you can find that first whole season and you'll be astounded watching it now when it's not competing against a show that's exactly sure. the same. You'll watch it and be like, why was this ever canceled? Honestly, I like it better than Sports Night. There. I said it. Oh, no. I said it mainly oh, because no. I don't care anything about sports balls. Sure. Um, 
And I really like the concept of these two producers struggling to save this show. Absolutely. It was great until they started taking the network notes. Interesting. So that sucks. That's my number five. That's, I mean, it's starting off at a very, you've sold me on it. I'm going to check out the show. Um, But it's a pretty strong number five. And this also starts another trend. So I've got two trends in this list that I picked up. One was that, you know, network notes usually had a problem or network adoption caused a problem. The other is that almost all of these are done and led and either produced or created by huge names. Okay. Like Aaron Sorkin is a gigantic name in the entertainment industry. Of course. And so... All of these that I put on my list ended up having some sort of connection like that. Interesting. Okay, I'm excited about that. So my number four, which we'll lead into, and I'll see if you can guess this one, because I'm going to give you the big name associated with it. Uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh, okay. You know what it is? The Tick. 2001's The Tick. I fucking love that show! Damn right. That's why it's my number four. I am pissed because that is not on my list. I didn't even fucking think about it. Honorable mention, though? Yes, 100% an honorable mention. That is one that sort of congealed in this perfect mesh of just beauteousness, if I can make up a word. Yeah, sure you can. The cast was impeccable. Oh, While man. I love the new version that Amazon is putting out, and you have, oh, I, I have I liked it. about yeah, it, yeah. Um, I think it's very, very funny. But I, it's got a different feel, too. It's also got that, it's a little more dark. Mm-hmm. It's definitely darker, and I feel like they took a little bit away from what what I will say tanked the 2001 The Tick. Okay. Um, but before I get yeah, to what before tanked you get into it, that. there is no one on the face of the planet who is a better tick than Patrick Patrick Warburton. Warburton. I won't, I could not I 100% agree yes. with that. You I because of just the putty character that he played and his just essence the the voice that he has his size and stature he yeah. always plays the <clears throat> aloof heavy. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he's perfect as this very aloof big yes. muscular guy but not like the asshole jock guy he's just not an like asshole this. jock he's he's cronk yeah he's cronk in life yeah exactly and that's one of the things that the tick has to embody so the new version uh what's it pete P- uh, Ser- peter serafonowitz serafonowitz okay i was not even gonna try his last name but he's hilarious but i don't think he carries that and i think it's almost necessary that he doesn't because the Tick is a meta parody. Oh, yes. Which, yes. that is the reason I believe that it tanked. Okay. People, at least in 2001, could not grasp the concept of a meta parody. Something that's a meta commentary on parodies of a popular genre. Right. It's like two steps removed from what you're comfortable laughing so at. So people were looking at it head on as what it is and going, oh, so this is like a weird superhero show. It's just a weird superhero. But that wasn't it at all. That wasn't it. It was literally a dolt who legitimately had superpowers who was doing good things, but throughout the course, through the whole subtext of the show was making fun of the idea that power and responsibility should go hand in hand. It was a parody of a parody, basically. And you, it's, that's hard for me to wrap my head around just listening to you. I mean, and it is, and we can honestly have a whole theoretical discussion. We should have, we that should means. do in other stuff too on meta. 
Oh, on man. just meta stuff, meta movies, meta whatever. Just meta the, commentary, meta yes. data. Yes. <laughs> from websites. Metamucil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't beat that one. That one yeah, that's the end you. of that joke. Um, but, and, and honestly, I get really pinned up and start to have arguments with people when they start to say that parodies and satire are the same thing. No, because they, they very are, much they are, not. are not. A parody is exaggerating the effects of a certain genre or technique. Satire is actually making some sort of statement by exemplifying a particular aspect of something. Right. Anyway. Thank a, you, Webster's. <laughs> a, meta, a meta parody is saying, you know this thing that you laugh at? There are serious elements of what you're laughing at that you're not realizing. So we're going to bring those to light. So it almost makes this serious, dark comedy. Sure. And I don't think anyone could grasp that. And Patrick Warburton's gone on the record saying that the studio couldn't even really grasp what was going on. And because they didn't understand the concept and the subtext of the show, they started like showing it at terrible times. Right. They stopped. They didn't know how to promote yeah, it. They stopped promoting it altogether because they didn't know. It was like, oh, is this a superhero show? Is this like a comedy sketch show? <clears throat> and they couldn't even get the rights to all the characters from the comics. Right. Uh, Which Bat they changed. Yeah, da Bat-Manuel. Was Da Fleetermouse? Yeah, Die Fleeter Fleetermouse. Yes. And so, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't get the universe that they needed. But, oh, my God, that cast was so good. And I still, to this day, will walk into rooms and yell spoon. <laughs> Which is pretty fantastic. Yeah, you do. do. I've always wondered <clears throat> why, but now I know. I do it at restaurants and people hand me spoons. Right. Uh, which is not right. the point. You do it when you're getting ready to go to sleep and then I spoon you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Spoon! <laughs> it's like demanding cuddles. Right. Which exactly. I like. Yeah. I like. Um, and then again, this one had a huge name attached to it. Barry Sonnenfeld. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from... Men in Black? That's what I was going to mention. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this is that... He is a huge name. He directed the first episode. He was the executive producer on all of it. It he had his fingerprints all over it, it. It felt like a Barry Sonnenfeld where it's the silly, wacky humor in a very serious story subtext. Yes. Uh, Men in Black had that, even though it's a straight-up action comedy. And it you also could, has like a really, a really specific design palette mm -hmm. and color palette. They tend to be these really exaggerated versions yes. of our world it's it's wes anderson in the opposite direction yes 100 where wes anderson accentuates analogy. the indie barry sonnenfeld accentuates the the color the gloss and the gloss yes so yeah wes anderson muted barry sonnenfeld glossy high gloss high gloss <laughs> um and i mean barry sonnenfeld is even doing the new version on amazon he directed the pilot yep. he's exact patrick warburton's executive producer yep. on it as well speaking of that though and what's weird and, and especially speaking about barry sonnenfeld the palette of those two versions of the tick couldn't be more different from each other yeah like the look and feel of the the two what was it two, 2000 2001 2001 tick versus the look and feel of the Amazon tick. Now there from what I understand uh Carter Edland, Carver Edland, I believe is the uh right. writer of the tick, the original comic book. Right. And he's saying that the Amazon tick is a little more in line with the tone yes. of the comic book. I would agree with that. It was a little more gritty. Mm -hmm. Um and that's kind of what made it the commentary that it was. It, it took a very kind of serious look at something not so serious. It was kind of 
a modern version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, originally. Or, or the mask. The right, comic where for they the mask. took they took a concept that you know with Eastman and Laird to use yeah. the the yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles again. They were like, okay, what can we do that's like a real gritty Frank Miller style story, but with the most ridiculous yeah. thing you could imagine? Well, mutant teenage turtles right you know what i mean like that's ridiculous but the first <clears throat> issues and first run of that series is super bloody yeah. and, and dark and heavy and so i am very curious to see as a big fan of the 2001 mm -hmm. tick i'm very curious to see how this new series turns well, out and i think one of the smart things that the new tick from amazon is doing is and this is one thing that the original version didn't do for good reason when you have patrick warburton you can't really shy away from his character. He's so good as the tick. He has to be the focal oh, point. Oh, absolutely. In the new version, Arthur is our viewpoint into the story, which I think is very smart because the idea of the tick and the way that the, the meta commentary for that works is, you know, when you think of a comic, uh, a superhero universe, like think of Marvel or I guess don't you really use the newer versions, but uh, – it, comics of the 90s and comics of the 80s, there was an unbelievableness to the world that those superheroes lived in. Oh, absolutely. What The Tick did was they said, what if someone is as ridiculous as the Hulk, but is in a realistic world? Like, what would the true bloody consequences of someone having immense power and no regulations be right. in a world where that doesn't exist? And that's what it explored, and that's where the meta parody comes in, is it's taking something extremely ridiculous that exists and is accepted wholeheartedly from another universe or genre and putting it in a place where saying, this is what it would sort of actually look and feel like. If somebody had this ability or this power right. and did this. Right. And I think, you know, speaking of that exactly, to the 2001 tick effect – they made the entire world a heightened reality. It was a cartoon. The whole it was a thing living became cartoon. the just like the Tick cartoon mm -hmm. series. Yep, it became that. So while not necessarily being true to the original run, it was still an absolutely beautiful and well executed. It was. Uh, Meta parody. What I would say is that the 2001 version of the Tick is an adaptation of the cartoon. Yes. And the new tick is an adaptation of the original comic, comic book. Couldn't, so. couldn't speak better. So I may not have heard of your number five. I definitely heard of your number four, and I'm a big I fan. I love it. I, it's, it's above Studio 60 because I just can laugh the whole time, and I can enjoy every second of that show. I still watch it regularly. Yep, me so too. I'm with you 100%. And it should have lasted longer. I agree. I agree. So that's my number four. That's pretty solid, man. Yeah. I like this list so far. Number three... We're going to move to a big name with a show that I would hearken a guess that people don't realize was only one season because of how much attention it gets. Mm, okay. And it's Firefly. Uh, okay. Firefly because it had the season and a movie. Sure. Which a lot of people will equate those as like, oh, of course, everyone talks about and loves Firefly. It had to have run one more than one season. Nope. It did not. Nope. Um, and this also had a huge name behind it. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of this guy, but Joss Wheaton. 
Um, who is that? Is he related to Will Wheaton? He is. They are twin brothers. Oh, I knew it. I, I had don't a know feeling. if anyone knew that. But, I mean, Firefly is one of those shows that nowadays has basically a a lore behind it. It has a following. There was a cult of serenity that came out when the show was in danger of becoming, of getting canceled. Those fans, the brown coats as they are known, <laughs> them's a lively bunch. I mean, and the show in every aspect was great. A space Western, which fantastic concept. Um, you know, we we're sort of doing that now with guardians of the galaxy. Like if firefly had come out in the last five years, it would have been the biggest show on television. Oh, I 100% agree You know, sci-fi that. westerns. I mean, hell, look at how good Westworld did. Exactly. You know, sci-fi westerns That's work in. now. And then not only was the concept great, the production crew behind it, Joss Wheaton, knows more than anybody else how to do a good ensemble story. You know, he did it with Buffy, which we've talked about at on length because I know your love for it. Oh, definitely. And he did it with Firefly, and that's why he was pegged to do Avengers. Mm -hmm. Because nobody can make a bunch of well-loved, big characters work together better than Joss Whedon can. I Um, agree. And then under that, you just have the sheer talent of the cast. I mean, Nathan Fillion, um, Alan Tudyk, Gina Torres, uh, Miranda Baccarin, um, as everyone with familiar with Marina Baccarin knows, is that um, um, Marina Bacherman from, uh, as everyone knows, from Deadpool, get you know poking her in the <laughs> she, ass. Yeah, she, and then no, um, her poking yeah. Deadpool in the ass. And then um, you know everyone seeing her tits in Homeland. Right. She was you know famous from this, and then a bald one. I mean, every good show needs a bald one. Well, you got That's some, like some that's sorts. like the trifecta. Like yeah. you got to have a bald one in there. So, I mean, the cast... We mentioned 30 Rock earlier. We did. Had a bald one. Had a bald one. (laughs) SNL, one of their best seasons ever. Has a bald one. That's right. You know. The Flintstones, two. Viva Rock Vegas. Vegas. Got a bald one. Had a bald one. Still shitty. (laughs) The Usual Suspects, had a bald one. That's right. It was the crazy one. Had a bald one. Flatliners, bald one. This podcast has a bald one. That's right. We're actually doing a spinoff podcast one season called... Baldwin Bandits, yeah, where it's just fan fiction of the Baldwin brothers together as bank robbers, yeah, and uh, we're just gonna read chapters of our fan fiction novel every single week. Check that out. Season one coming from High yeah. Five Media will only last one season. That's it. So one and done. So one and done. Just like Firefly, which we're talking about right now. Um, the sad thing about Firefly was this is one that sort of takes the network angle in the opposite way. Is Joss Whedon had planned out seven seasons. Of yeah. that show. Like, he wanted it to run seven seasons, and the studio kept giving him notes to change it. Like, they didn't like that the two characters were married because they wanted um, Mal? Mal, the yeah. ship captain? Yeah. They wanted Mal to have a romance with her. Right. And so he said, With there's, Zoe. Yeah, there's no way that I'm doing that. So they relented and they got mad. And it, they said it was too dark. So they said, Make it funnier and have Mal shoot more people. And he said, I'm not doing that. So the studio got mad. And then um, it basically kind of proves that no matter what you do with the studio that doesn't understand the concept of your show, you just can't win. Because once Joss Whedon started making the studio mad, they just fucked with its time slot, they stopped promoting it, and then they just canceled it. Yeah, they were like, fuck you. I think they canceled it two seasons before it was two episodes before it was even done. Yeah. And they showed the first season out of order. Yep. 
so that people couldn't get into a groove. And Joss Whedon is a linear storyteller. Oh, for sure. So that was that's a, a shitty, shitty, sad one because it has such a cult following, which is proof that it would have existed for years had they just promoted it correctly. I even think if I'm okay, I, I need you to, to verify sure. this for yep, me, but I, can do that. I I think that even in the original promos for that show, they basically promoted it as a wacky comedy and played like Smash Mouth on the pro like walking on the sun on, is, in the in the commercial promos for it. That is a one hundred percent fact. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I am right about that. I'm not you, misremembering. You are that. correct. You We're are like, not hey, check out this wacky space comedy yeah. with Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. Boop a doop a doop a doop walking on the sun, stupid song. Right. Yeah. They didn't know how and that's one hundred percent correct. I remember seeing the ads when they aired and being very confused by what it was. And I'm actually one of the late adopters. Like I wasn't there. Mm. I didn't watch the season or the show when it when it aired. Right. I picked it up after its DVD release. See, me too. I actually picked it up after I watched Serenity and had zero idea what was happening. Now, I can say I didn't do that. I watched Serenity and was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right. But I was like, I like these actors. And then I realized it was the end of a show, sort right. of. What a spinoff we- of a what show. What a weird way to like introduce yourself to yeah. that world because you're you're essentially watching it backwards exactly it's exactly what i did so i watched serenity and was like i don't like this right and then i was and then i found out it was part of a show and then i watched the show and i was like oh i get it oh now, now i like that movie a little sense. bit more right it's so. like it's like rogue one yes before before a new hope you right know? you're like oh now i get it i like that other movie even more <laughs> people were always talking to me and they're like man star wars is so great and i just watched the phantom menace and i was like i don't know what they're talking about yeah because this <laughs> sucks it <This kinda laughs> sucks <laughs> but but yeah i mean you i know as a big fan of joss wheaton oh man uh, like i don't want to monopolize this whole conversation no, it's fine. i mean Firefly, it was a shame that it only lasted one season. Not even a full season. You can get all the episodes, like all 13 or whatever now. Oh, yeah. But Oh, yeah. They've done a Blu-ray release of it. They've done... It's on DVD. It's been on DVD for years. I think it's streaming on Netflix, even. Yeah. Um, shout out to Netflix. Give us some money. Boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> that was that the, net, the Netflix pinging us? I don't know what that was. Uh, that was Netflix giving us the thumbs up, which right. is their new ranking system. Yeah, which is beautiful, by the yeah. way. I, I love it. Uh, I also like, you know, on a side note, before we get back to the subject at hand, um, I also like the fact that it now shows you like a percentage of how much, like per, like right. how relevant it is to what you're wanting yeah. to see. I noticed that the other day. I was like, what is this? I like this. Yeah, it's like 97% relevant to what you're looking for. <laughs> it gives me tingles. I and- know. I was like, you know who loves this? Jay. I <laughs> yeah. knew it. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, Jay's getting a boner for this right Ooh, now. <laughs> statistical calculations. I love it. Statistical I love calculations Tell me Netflix on a percentage, how much will I appreciate it? <laughs> Don't just give me the we recommend. Tell me a percentage wise how much you recommend. (laughs) 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 Holy God. Yeah, I I knew it. Yeah. Actually, uh, speaking of Firefly, to to spin off just a little bit, have you seen Alan Tudyk's independent show that he's made sort of about this? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, Alan Tudyk. Am I saying his last name? I always say Tudyk. I thought it was Tudyk. I always say Tudyk. So uh, let's just say... We can say... I'll say it. Two dick, tudjik. I'll say it the right way. You say it the wrong way. Perfect. Um, Two jick. He has a show that he wrote, 
directed, stars in, and just produces. It's basically an internet show. Is it I think the King, it, King of Cons or Con Men? Con Men. Or oh, con he man. does with Nathan Fillion. Yes. The Con Man is about a guy uh-huh. who was on a very popular sci-fi television show that got canceled after one season that is now living vicariously through appearances at sci-fi conferences. Fantastic. And he plays that character, and he's just this begrudged, jaded guy living, I love it. living I ha- that world. I've heard of it, but I have not watched it. I think it, the second season got picked up by CISO. Oh, shit, it got a yeah. second season. It did. So it's not going to be on this list. Um, Sad. But yeah, so Firefly CISO, was- give us your money. <laughs> whoop, whoop. I don't know. That's I don't. Jay's excitement noise <laughs> from far away. I ran out of the room and go, and then I ran right back to, to do the rest of this commentary. But that was one that I honestly think if you talk to a lot of people, they will be like, oh no, Firefly totally had multiple seasons because of how popular it is. And you're like, no dumbass, it didn't. It didn't even have a full first season. Get your fucking facts straight before you step to us. Yeah. And so then that, you punch him straight yeah. in the fucking face. So that's it. That's that's number three. That's like, man, you're, you're five through three. You've got one that I've never heard of, one that I love and cherish and adore, and one that I'm super pissed off that I didn't put on my list. So Spoilers. So Firefly is going to be on my list. <laughs> <laughs> I, figured, I figured. That was one of the two that I was pretty confident we would share. Um, I, I feel like yours might be higher. But the two that I have higher, I just adore. I adore the number one and number two. On I can this. totally get behind that, man. I like your list. Like I'm, I'm excited. I feel like you've brought up some super good points, uh, and I'm ready to disappoint you with my list because my list is going to be super niche only unto me. Well, then I am excited. So, Q, yes. lay your list upon me. I cannot wait. Here we go. All right. So my number five is. The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. You know, I, I thought about that, and it's a good show. It is a good show. Now I never really watched all of it, though. Really? Nope. Okay. I think I caught like one or two episodes here and there. That's totally fair. Um, so here's here's kind of the gist for those who have not watched The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which I recommend everybody go do. First off, it stars Sir Bruce Campbell, right? who is one of my all-time favorite just people. That I did know. Yes. <laughs> Uh, he's my he's he's uh, he's the chin as he is known. <laughs> um, he is Ash from Evil Dead. That's that's my that's claim where people to primarily him. know him. Also from the amazing new Ash versus the Evil Dead right. sh- television series. Still which Ash is in fantastic. That, yes, still Ash. Uh, my name is Bruce, which right. was an awesome meta movie yeah. where he played Bruce Campbell as Bruce Campbell. I love his book too. Yeah, if um, Ch- I think it was if Chins could kill yeah. or if Chins could talk or yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, he has a couple. I think there's one that's called like the Chin that ruined Hollywood or yeah, something. Yeah, and then he like also that. has like Confessions of a B list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Confessions of a B list like actor. Yeah. yeah, superstar or something. Yeah, someone. Um, but also, uh, this had a big name attached to it. Not at the time, it wasn't a big name. He is now, but the executive producer and co-creator of the show was Carlton Cuse, oh. who is now very famous for Lost. Right. Bates Motel, and is currently doing the strain that yeah we Guillermo talked about Toro we talked about showed. him I think on one or two episodes ago yeah so a a very talented writer and those who haven't been watching Bates Motel that's another really mm-hmm. awesome interesting reboot to a it's TV ending series. this season isn't it yeah this is their final series so this, this is the this is the series that actually catches up to the movie correct so this is the one that that takes place concurrent with uh, Psycho spoiler alert Farmiga doesn't make it. Also, spoiler alert, 
he's a murderer. <laughs> Just a spoiler the- alert. He owns a hotel. Yep. The Bates Motel, to be exact. <laughs> that's how they're going to end it. It's going to be the reveal of, it's called the Bates Motel because that's his name. And then it's just like, cue the like orchestral sting. sting. It's just like, <laughs> and then black screen. This and then a- it says, Dr. Sam Beckett never returned home. <laughs> Misspelled. <laughs> Misspelled. The, uh, that's says actually Dr. Sam Packett. <laughs> this actually is a good uh, a moment to plug our other podcast that we're starting called um, Confessions of a Hotel uh, Motel Manager. Yes. Um, and it's literally just going to be me in a monotone voice reading the guest registry of a motel right. in Nevada. But, n- th- I mean, don't forget, too, we're going to have bonus bi-weekly episodes where you're also going to be listing the brunch menu daily. So, so it'll be be sure to check that out. Season one coming to you may, very soon. May not last a whole season. But coming to you <laughs> very soon. Very soon. From High Five Media yes. Productions. All right, so uh, Adventures of Briscoe, Briscoe County Jr. So the the plot behind this is uh, Briscoe County Jr. is a lawyer turned bounty hunter who uses futuristic gadgets to hunt down a gang of outlaws. So pretty much dog, the bounty hunter. You're right. But also very similar. Yes. It, it's actually a reality television series <laughs> uh, that took place in the 1800s. Uh, back when cameras were first invented, but not yet perfected. Yeah. Um, so the audio is a little shitty, is what I'm saying. Uh, but no, so basically this has also kind of that, I don't want to say a Firefly feel, but it, it has that sci-fi Western kind of mix. Um, it it feels most like wild the Wild Wild West. Right. Not the shitty Will Smith movie, <laughs> but the okay television the, series. The steampunk Will Smith just... Kevin, Kevin Klein, Klein disaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The cinema classic is what. So yeah. I, I did. I cinema misspoke. classic. I apologize. Is that a Barry Sonnenfeld? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is a Barry Sonnenfeld. <laughs> I think it is, but we're not. We won't. Uh, we're sorry, Barry. Stricken that from the record. <laughs> Strike that. Murder. <laughs> um, but we belong to the sons of the dirt. So basically, uh, it is a high concept show. It had uh, science fiction elements and also had that Western appearance. Yeah. So the whole big thing of it um, was, A, it was super campy humor. And I think a lot of times, like when we were discussing with The Tick, a lot of times it felt in line right at home with, say, Xena Warrior Princess right. or Hercules, uh, um, where it was very like they were aware that it was campy and the cheesy. adventures of Lois and Clark. Right. They were doing yeah. it on purpose. Right. But a lot of networks at the time, that was kind of a trend that was mm-hmm. happening in the early nineties was they were having these very like overly comedic shows with somewhat serious subject matter. Um, and a lot of people were really into it, but the networks didn't really get it. They were like, okay, is it, is it like a stupid comedy? Should we play Walking on the Sun behind it right. when we advertise no. it? No, the answer is always no for right. that. <laughs> to any of that, always no. Right. Um, or should you know? Is this like a drama? Like right. what? What the fuck is this? And I want your opinion on this because I think for whatever reason, when did this show come out? Uh, this show was ninety three, ninety four. Okay, so it ran from ninety three to ninety four. I think for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but some b- between nineteen ninety. And about 2002, the concept of a sci-fi Western, people could not grasp what that <laughs> no, meant. They were like, what? Like, you might could watch a movie about it, sort of. Right. But, I mean, Wild Wild West is a good example of even that won't work. 
I don't think people well, aside could, from just being a shitty yeah. movie. But I mean, like even Cowboys and Aliens, that didn't come yeah. out in that time period. But the idea of something super futuristic meshing with old world, which is weird because I don't know about you, but that whole premise is super interesting yeah. to me. Like I like the mix of yeah. like high sci-fi with like low tech old world. I think the the concept and the story that did it right, and you have to do it perfect. You have to balance it perfectly. It's Back to the Future Three. Oh, one hundred percent. Like that's the only one that really figured out what that balance needs to be, but they earned it because there was two movies that led I up to it. I also think everyone will agree that was the best Back to the Future movie. My it it's my favorite <laughs> it's my favorite said ma- no one. No, mainly because of the scene at the end. The flying with, train. No, the little kid. It's oh, like oh, oh, oh. playing with himself and winking at the camera that no one noticed. Oh yeah, if anybody is thinking that Jay is just I blowing smoke up your ass right up. now, he is not. You can Google this, and they have video and like slowed down if you want to watch a little boy play with himself. Yes. Uh, <laughs> maybe not do that. No, I mean don't watch it at work. Watch it with your kids and your pastor. <laughs> right. It's hilarious. Right. Make sure you Google search <laughs> "little boy plays with himself." <laughs> Back to the Future. <laughs> or just don't even put Back to the Future. Just Little, little Boy, boy plays, plays with himself, himself and you'll eventually find it. Right. Or they will find <laughs> you. Either way. It is hilarious. It's when they're all standing on the train at the end and Doc has his new family. And for whatever reason, n- no one noticed this kid, this side actor, like playing with his little wee-wee and like staring seductively at the camera. So it made it into the final cut, and I can't express enough how much I want people to go find it on YouTube and watch it. It makes me uncomfortable that you use the term seductively. He, but he is. That's the thing. He is. He has a come hither look. He is staring at the camera as I want you to join me in my Spider-Man sheets. <laughs> Gross. Like that's what he wants. Gross. Maybe. Okay, Briscoe County Junior. Sorry. So, yeah. Back uh, to your thing. So uh, now. Unlike a lot of the shows that we have referenced, it ran for one season, but that one season consisted of 27 episodes. Good Lord. So it's like a season of The Flash or Green Arrow or something. Right. So it basically, it was what America used to be pretty common for shows to run between 22 and 25, 26. Right. Excuse me. Episode seasons. It was more of a British thing that we've kind of adopted recently yeah. where shows ran for limited series runs. So they ran max of 10 to 13 episodes. I also credit the writer strike for that because if you remember back in the day, quote unquote, back in the day, little kitties, I'm going to tell my grandchildren about this one day. <laughs> but back in the day, there was a, you know, show started in August or September and they ran nonstop until about May. And there was, and then there was the off season, which a bunch of reruns ran in, and kind of variety shows would run during the summer. When the writer strike happened, that set the new model for now seasons to basically be broken up into two halves. Walking Dead is one of the most famous ones now that does this, but season seven of Walking Dead will run from like October to January. They go on hiatus, and then they go on hiatus for like six weeks. And they come back and run from February to April. Right. And a lot of shows do that. Mad Men started doing that. Um, Breaking Bad sort of started doing that. 
and that you, that can be traced back to the writer strike because Lost, which we've talked about before, basically did exactly that. They ran half of season three. The writer strike happened for like twelve weeks, and they came back and finished season three. And every right. show basically did. That. It's not like they they shortened yeah. season three and we're like, okay, well uh, now it's season yeah. four. They were like, no, 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 this is season three, part two. Right. And then after that, you know, internet services and streaming services started picking up. the The availability of content started to become universally prevalent at all times. So it's sort of like when the 24 hour news cycle took over It's like you had to have enough to fill up the entire 12 months. You couldn't just count on eight and a half months of a season run where people would, you know, watch Seinfeld every Thursday night at eight. That didn't, that doesn't happen anymore. Sure. So absolutely. absolutely. I so 100% agree. for Briscoe to run that first season for 20 some odd weeks was right in line with the times in 93, 94, but also doesn't happen nowadays. Even on even like the CW shows like Flash and Green Arrow that we've mentioned, usually will take some sort of hiatus or do three or four weeks of reruns and then pick back up. And I will credit it as, um, or I will state that, um, so this show, unlike a lot of the others, there's far more Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. content available to fans who were disappointed mm-hmm. that it only ran for one season. Well, I think if there's 26 episodes or however many you said, that encapsulates pretty much the entirety of all three of the shows I have mentioned thus far. Exactly. Because I think Studio 60 had 12 episodes. The Tick had seven or eight. Right. And then um, Firefly only did 11 of the 13 that they had planned. Sure. So your one season has Ran encompassed the- all of my that- show's lifespan. And it's a great show. So, like I said, it's ostensibly a Western show. Uh, but it included a lot of elements of like sci-fi mm-hmm. and steampunk kind of stuff. Humor was big, um, but the writers so like when the writers conceived of the show that they wanted to keep the jokes just under being completely over the top. So that was kind of their like rule of thumb. They're like, okay, well we're not gonna be like full on clown suits, right? But we can get like maybe a red nose. <laughs> They, Maybe an oversized studio. They or two. saw what From the Files of Police Squad did with their one season and stepped back half a step. Right. And also, speaking of Police Squad, uh, we have to reference our upcoming sh- uh, podcast series called Police Squad The Undiscovered Files, a retrospective of in depth reviews of each episode of Police Squad. <laughs> As told by someone who has never watched a single episode of Police Squad. Minute by minute. It's going to be right. great. Yep. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So check out that season, season one, one coming soon. Season one coming soon. Yeah. High five podcast media. Yeah. All right. So also, um, the 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 show, uh, the show was just great. It was very funny. Like I said, it was in, along the lines of Xena or Hercules. It was that kind of like silly, kind of over the top, but also had like some good action and sci-fi elements. Um, so yeah, all in all, it was just a really good show. I think it's picked up somewhat of a cult following now, uh, mainly because of Bruce Campbell, right. um, which helps, but yeah, I highly recommend it. He did another short lived show called Jack of all trades, which oh, yeah, was I another, think I've seen that one, another really, huh? It was very much along the same lines, but he, it was, it took place. Was he named Jack? 
Yeah, of course. Nah, I don't want to watch anymore. Yeah. Two on <laughs> the nose. Out. Two on the You're nose. Out. I'm out of it. I'm on the nose. I mean, this one was called Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> and he was Briscoe County Jr. Yeah, but it had the adventures of. Like, it wasn't a pun. Then it was weird because I love puns. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, that's my number five. I like Adventures your five. of Briscoe County Jr. Moving on to my number four. Ooh, this I'm excited. Is, this is another one. Now, this has a big name attached to it that's a big name to me. I don't uh-huh. know that it's going to be a big name to a lot of other people. Is it your wife's name? It is. Okay. Uh, my wife, Brian Fuller. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know Brian Fuller. Okay. So, personally? Oh, yeah. No, you totally. You know my wife, Brian we, Fuller? We run out to uh, Crystal to get Crystal Chicks at All least every Tuesday at 11.47 p.m. I love it. Yeah. Right um, before they close to piss off all the workers. I know. I was really disappointed you guys didn't pick me up any last time. You know what? Whatever. But <laughs> Fine. Deal with it. Me and um, the beefle. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Beefles. Is that yeah. what you call them? Beefles. Um, so the show that I'm referencing is Wonder Falls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, know, I know that one. A lot of people haven't seen Wonder Falls. It was uh, a a perfect show that to kind of showcase Brian Fuller's aesthetic. Well, he, his aesthetic became very popular when he sort of nailed it with Pushing Daisies. Yes, but this was pre-Pushing yes. Daisies. But also that kind of quirky feel right yeah absolutely so it has this like heightened fantasy reality so everything is very like idiosyncratic so you have all of these characters who are very like weird and kind of real worldy but they take place in this very heightened fantastic kind of comedic world a wonderful world yeah it is a wonderful world yeah. uh they it he also was involved with uh, dead like me i mm-hmm. don't know if you ever watched that yep. show about People who became Grim Reapers. Yep. It was pretty fantastic. Um, so basically, the the concept behind this show um, was it was a character, Jay Taylor, played by Carolina Divernus, uh, who would later go on to be Hannibal. Or oh. Not be Hannibal, but be in right. Hannibal. Be eaten by Hannibal. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, and, uh, no relation to Cara Delvegni, because Cara Delvernus is a good actress. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Uh, and her eyebrows are much smaller. Yes. Uh, so, uh, basically, the series centered on her playing a character named Jane Taylor. Uh, she's a college student, and she worked at a Niagara Falls gift shop called Wonder Falls. And Makes the concept sense. of it was that, randomly, various souvenirs around the gift shop would come to life. Amazing. And give her instructions on people that needed to be helped in the town. Oh, nice. So sort of the opposite of needful things. Yes, definitely <laughs> the opposite of needful things. But they were usually like random weird things that came to life, and they would give her very like cryptic kind of words or phrases that she would have to kind of figure out, like, what did that mean, you know? All the while dealing with, like, is she going crazy? Right. Like, people are wondering if she's going crazy. Um but, uh, like, some of the stuff that came to life was, like, a little wax lion or a brass monkey. Um, you know, that funky monkey. Yeah. Um, a mounted fish. Like, all sorts of stuff. It also had William Sadler in it. Uh, very, very, very well known as Death from Bill and Ted. <laughs> right, yes. Um, but it also had, speaking of Pushing Daisies, Lee Pace. Oh, yeah. The main character from, from uh, Pushing Daisies. Um, so it was really good. Now, here's kind of we discussed when studios fail television shows. So 
It was a very funny show. It was a very sweet show. Very in line with Pushing Daisies. And there's actually some references. Fuller kind of has the Fullerverse. Uh, so yeah. he has <clears throat> references and characters that will share space in the same universe. There's even been references from shows like Dead Like Me in Hannibal. Oh, nice. Sort of like Vince Gilligan does with his universe where he has the restaurant from uh, Home Fries, I think it is, yep. in the uh, the parent company that owns uh, Los Poyos, Los, Los Los Poyos, Poyos Hermanos, Hermanos in yeah. Breaking Bad. Exactly. Yeah. So they'll do little like winks and nods to other things in the universe. Um, and so this this show kind of, I don't want to say originated that, but it was kind of the... No the formative place for a lot of those concepts because this show came predated dead like me. It predated yeah. pushing daisies predated Hannibal. So what you're saying is basically this show is exactly like Joan of Arcadia. Yes. But what I'm also <laughs> saying is this show is 100% in soul, a prequel to Hannibal. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Right. I mean, just along the exact same lines. I love it. Mads Mickelson is all over it. <laughs> He's all over it. He is actually the voice of the funky of Niagara monkey. Falls. Oh, I thought you were going to say funky. Monkey. Oh no, no, no. I was going to yeah. say Niagara Falls. Okay. Oh. Yeah. He is the voice <laughs> of the falls, much like Peter Welker. Yes. Uh, who, you know, is the voice of everything. Right. Um, um but so yeah, Mads Mickelson, is... there's, there's a background footage of him just in a mic going, that's exactly correct. Just hours of footage of him doing that. People didn't know. He's the Andy Circus of waterfalls. <laughs> he mocapped the waterfalls. He did. You didn't know that? <laughs> I now I'm having this vision of Mads Mickelson in a green mocap suit, just jumping up and down, waving his hands. Nope, it was a blue suit because he was playing water. It's mocap. It can be. Goddamn color we want it to be. Yeah, but Brian Fuller pioneered the <laughs> he's technology. Got, he's got all, all the little balls on him. Color accurate yeah. mocap. <laughs> it's very, very risky procedure. Color mocap you're it. 100, 100% <laughs> accurate. Um, so, uh, basically, the studio fucked this up. Um, this was one where they uh, aired it at really weird times. So, they initially aired it for four consecutive Fridays. Which is, Fridays are a tough night for shows in general. Friday and Saturday is sort of the death knell for a lot of TV shows. Right, so this one started yeah. on Friday. Awesome. And after four episodes, they decided, eh, we'll shelve it for a minute. We're just going to give it a break <laughs> without letting anyone know. And then they were like, mm, well, maybe we just won't bring it back. And so then they decided that they were going to take it and they're going to go, okay, well, let's, let's see if another network wants it. <laughs> And this is one of those scenarios where the other networks were like, hmm, what? Huh? It it aired what, when, on Fridays? And it had how many viewers? Oh, well, that's not much? Great. Okay. Yeah, no. We'll pass. I love, you know, because what all great TV shows need is a lack of momentum in their first run. Yeah, absolutely. It's no totally what makes a successful show. Yeah, nothing sells a show more to an audience than a complete lack of push from the studio whatsoever, and also a very obscure time slot on Fridays, <laughs> of then which it is the show is put on hiatus with no warning, and you just you know it's like check your local listings or not because <laughs> it may or may not coming be coming back. It's just like Blink One Eighty Two; they just randomly go on hiatus, and maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. If they come back, they'll have a different singer. Yeah, and if they do, trio. maybe uh, Carolina Davernos decided to chase aliens somewhere. Maybe, Who knows? Yeah. Maybe she's hanging out with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Um, so, 
That's my number four, Wonder Falls. Like you can find it on DVD. I think other than that, it's not really streaming anywhere yeah. last time I checked. But check it out. It's well worth a shot. If you like Brian Fuller's aesthetic, you'll totally dig this show. Like I said, I, I couldn't say enough that it falls so in line with The Dead Like Me or The Pushing Daisies, which Barry Sonnenfeld was involved with. Right. Barry Sonnenfeld directed the pilot for Pushing Daisies right. as well. Now, um, I know Bar- Brian Fuller doesn't do this show, but the aesthetic is very similar to what I would say, like an eye zombie sort of pulling off some of that aesthetic. I could get behind that. Yeah. Sure. Now, like quirky, otherworldly, funny, but drama stories. Now to step off of Wonderfalls, though, to talk about Brian Fuller a little bit, there are two projects that he was involved with. One that I'm very excited about coming up and two, one that, aired a single episode not a single series it was originally supposed to be a series but then the network backed out and was like "Mm, it wasn't actually supposed to be a series maybe it was just a television movie we don't know it wasn't that successful anyway forget about it (laughs) um which was tell me of these the the that tv movie quote unquote i'm doing big air quotes right now that tv movie was mockingbird lane Oh, I heard about that. I didn't know that was supposed to be a yeah. show. So it was supposed to be a reboot of the Monsters. Like Mulholland Drive. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be a reboot of the Monsters. I remember. I do remember it that. It was in starring Jerry O'Connell yes. as the dad. Starring Eddie Izzard as grandpa. And they ran it basically as a Halloween special. Correct. And the ratings were just like, ah, whatever. Now, the, originally it was envisioned as a reboot series. So it was supposed to air as a Halloween special. Then to be picked up and continue airing, kind of like um, it was supposed to air on Halloween or right before Halloween, just like The Walking Dead originally did. And then it was going to be a short run series after that. Like The Walking Dead did. Well, they aired it. And then people were like, okay, great. When's the next episode? And they're like, what? Uh, The network's like, hmm? And they're like, no, no, no. When is the next episode? And they're like, oh, next episode? Pardon us? What? Um... We'll get back to you. Have and you, then have you watched our other ABC special? Right, that's exactly what it was. So it was really weird. You would go to there because I did this because I loved it. I thought it was a great reboot. It was weird and it was stylistic and it was kind of dark and it was funny. Have you guys seen uh, Working? It has a. Uh, it has the right. kid from Wonder Years. Yeah, this is great. Come check this out. Um, it will also not so have a season two. They were like coming back question mark and then you would go to their website it'd be like stay tuned for more news on mockingbird lane and then slowly they just started taking things down off of the website (laughs) so it was very much a milton situation where they're like um no the problem solved itself we just stopped making the show keep producing other shows people will eventually forget that we said that. they'll get the picture and to this date it has been put out on nothing you can't (laughs) stream it you can't buy it on dvd it is nowhere. Nothing. So that's project number one that I loved that was kind of one of those, like, it was worse than a one and done. It was literally a one and done. <laughs> it was a chumbawamba. Right. So then they retconned it, though, because people did, like, hit them up at Comic-Cons and stuff afterwards, hit up the network, and was like, what the fuck, man? Like, there was supposed to be more. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It was originally envisioned as a TV movie. That's all. Is that why you had to be continued at the right. end of it? With a question mark, and it said, stay tuned next week for episode two? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, 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 that was like a joke. It was like a meta joke. No. So the title of the movie was episode one as just a goof. Right. <laughs> it's a goof. Got ya. It's a goof. See, it's right in line with the Munsters. Hilarious <laughs> comedy. Um, so that was one. The second thing that I'm super jazzed about is American Gods. Oh, my God. The Neil Gaiman adaptation. Yes. 
And I don't know if you've been watching the trailers for this thing. They look incredible. But it looks fucking amazing. Have you read that book? I have. And you don't read books. I do not. That book is incredible. I can't read. A lot That's of people the, don't know. I am completely illiterate. That's the very first Neil Gaiman book I ever read. And as soon as I finished it, I bought everything else that he had. Like um, Str- uh, Bad Omens, Anansi Boys, uh, Lake at the End of the Lane. Like I, I read everything I could get my hands on. Stardust, because I love that book so much. Nothing has lived up to it. No, and that is, if there was a one property outside of Sandman that Neil Gaiman has that I would like to see adapted correctly, mm-hmm. it is American Gods. And I'm so happy they're doing it as a series and not a movie because that story deserves a series run because there's so much that goes on with Shadow and Loki, basically. Absolutely. And it's just going to be, I mean, aesthetically, it's so interesting. Brian Fuller's, he really, okay, so he had a really interesting, interesting stylistic approach that he kind of groomed up until Hannibal. Right. At Hannibal, I feel like he kind of came into full-on, just artistic Brian Fuller mode. Well, because Hannibal isn't quirky in the slightest. No. It is just beautiful. It is stylistically impressive. Yeah. But he he was able to marry style and substance on mm-hmm. that show, and so it warranted it. Yeah. And from what I've seen of this show... He's done it again. It is style and substance married together in a way that perfectly helps to elevate the subject matter. And I have to say that that show pisses me off, sort of, because it's going to make me buy stars. (laughs) Just to be able to watch it? The same way that the Twin Peaks revival is going to make me buy Buy Showtime. Showtime? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm mad at both of them for it. So I have to say... Just on a merit alone, if you like what we've been talking about from Brian Fuller, check out Wonderfalls. It's kind of where everything began. Check it out. Solid, I like it. That's a good pick. That's a good solid number four. Thanks, man. All right, so here we go. My number three. Now, this one is another one that I'm very interested in. This also has two very big names now involved with it. I can probably guess what Those this names is. are Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh-huh. And the show is Clone High. Okay. Spoiler alert. That's my number two. Oh, shit. Okay, well, let's talk about it yeah. then. So it's my number three. We're going to come back after break, and you're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. So let's talk about it. That's one of my fucking favorite shows in the world. It's brilliant. It is, from top to bottom, one of the best cartoons that has ever been on television. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are comedic geniuses uh, and for people who don't immediately recognize their name and you should but they're behind the lego movie 21 uh, jump street. 21 jump street uh cloudy with a chance of meatballs which last, was great last man on earth last man on earth and they did lego batman to a degree it produced yeah, it. they produced it yeah they're they're gr- especially when they work together they're fantastic and they did voices for this show yes they did so i'll let you talk about it and then we can come back after the break, or we can talk about it now for me, but that is a strong, strong, strong number two for me, and the only reason it's not number one is because number one's one of my favorite shows ever. Okay, well, I think we're going to coalesce on that maybe yeah. as well. So, uh, Clone High, the basic concept of this show is hilarious just on its own. So, basically, it takes place in a school that is populated by clones of historical famous famous historical figures and it's a high school principled by the scientist who created them and his robotic butler named 
Butler, Mr. Butlertron. Right, Butlertron. Which uh, originally his name was supposed to be Mr. Belvedere Tron, but they couldn't <laughs> get the rights to Mr. To Bel- say Mr. To, Belvedere. Yeah. Um, and and the reason that it's a high school is because in this universe of cloning, it takes the stance of clones are born right. and then have to be raised. So he's he's removing them from society. And establishing them in this, in this school so he can keep an eye on them as a government-funded project. Right. And the crazy part of it, so yes, so they have to grow from baby to adulthood. And they're all teenagers Right, in the so show. you have teenage characters. So, populated by the likes of Gandhi, Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln John F. Kennedy. So the best way that, the reason I love this is because they also play with the classic high school television show tropes. The, the fact that every episode starts with on a very special episode. Exactly. <laughs> and even the theme is very like after school, especially or like Dawson's Creek kind of feeling like on this episode of Clone High, you know, yes. last we, we last remember Abe was talking to Joan about something <laughs> very important. Yes. And it's like, will you go to the dance with me? <laughs> But, okay, so you've got the tropes are Abe Lincoln is, like, the sensitive good guy. Right. You've got John F. Kennedy, who's, like, the dumb jock. Right. Popular guy. You've got Cleopatra, who's, like, the hot bitch. Yeah, the popular girl. Right. Then you've got Joan of Arc, who's, like, the emo goth chick. (laughs) Right. And then you've got Mahatma Gandhi, who's the token black guy. (laughs) (laughs) The crazy friend. Yeah, he's... He's the token black yeah. guy. Let's be honest. He's the like zany. And yeah. that was actually a huge controversy. That's why it got canceled. That's right. Because there was actually protests in India about the way that they depicted Gandhi. Well, and the fact that he's we- 100% always wearing a shirt that says screw Tibet. <laughs> That's what his shirt <laughs> is says. Even better. Yes. Is even better. But, but I, I mean, it's the thing about it is to, to validate the show and to stand up for it a bit. Yes. I understand how important Mahatma Gandhi is. He, this is his clone, and he's being raised in the 21st century. He's going to develop different. Right, and that's the best part. That's the whole point of this show is even though these people are clones and inhabit some traits yeah. or catchphrases or whatever from their famous counterparts, they are shitty teenage yeah. tropes. You know what I mean? Oh, and this is another one that had a fantastic cast behind it. Because Will Forte. Absolutely. It was um, Abe Lincoln. Michael McDonald is in it. Uh, Andy Dick is, it makes a lot of yep. appearances. And Donald Faison. Yep. From Scrubs, which yep. we know you love. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Scrubs, another producer and co-creator on this show was Bill Lawrence, who created Scrubs and uh, Cougar Town. So and now, it makes sense that you know, you've got some stable actors. One there. thing that I have to mention about this show, and what is, it's on my list of things to talk about um, when I was going to discuss it, but one of the things that this really does for me is it establishes how good Phil Lord and, um, and Miller and Chris Miller are with scenes and, uh, and honestly, to be nerdy about it, mise-en-scene. Like every, oh, shit. everything in every frame is detailed and referenced to a point to expand the world. Even so far as every single background character is also a famous person. Yes. So it'll be like Julius Caesar and um, like 
of George Washington. And right. You don't you don't just have like random Joe yeah. Blows hanging out at the is school. Every bag and Teen Wolf is in every episode for no reason. Yes. Well, the reason is yeah. because Teen Wolf is in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> like in whatever way. Some in some form or fashion. And I think they also put a dolphin in every episode for no reason. I believe that's correct. Now I haven't verified that <laughs> one, but yes, I have heard that as but well. But Phil Lord and Chris Miller do that. Like if you just watch the Lego movie and you can see that every single background thing is detailed is to a, a point where it's a thing. Right. It's not just bullshit that doesn't yes. matter. Like it, it is a part of the world. Yes. Uh so I will Absolutely agree. Um, so Clone High, I mean, it was one of those, I, I came into that, once again, way after it aired. Uh, it I actually, and I'm ashamed to say, I came into it after 21 Jump Street. Really? See. I had no idea that it existed, and after 21 Jump Street, I became obsessed with Chris Miller and Phil Lord. For me, I watched this when it aired on MTV. Oh, man, I, I wish I would have. I watched it religiously and was in love with it. And one of the greatest things about this show is that it is available to stream in its entirety multiple places online. Absolutely. You can watch it on, like, Popcorn. You can watch it on YouTube. It is streaming in, like, a million different places because they've just released the footage. And I probably rewatch the entire, I think, nine or ten episode run every other year. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. I will say that I watched this... um, regularly probably every six months now it is and it's easy to get through because they're all just like 20 or 25 minutes and the concept is brilliant it's laugh out loud funny and it in my opinion it's one of the best cartoons outside of like maybe the simpsons or south park or rick and morty that has ever been on television it was so underrated and so underappreciated i probably tell three or four people a year about this show oh, and demand that they go watch. it. I agree. I would say that this for me, as well as Rick and Morty, those are actually my two favorite animated series of all time. I feel like both of those series are so fucking smart, smart. That's it. And I feel like they're those creators, Phil Lord, Chris Miller and Dan Harmon are some of the smartest content yep. creators and comedic <clears throat> geniuses working today like i think their level of understanding of the business and the tropes and uh parody and satire and meta-ness and being able to layer things like that's one of the things i really love about south park is that it's super funny but there's usually like five or six layers to what they're doing you know outside of maybe like a family guy who just it's the fart joke every five minutes The, the clone high has so many it's funny on its surface it's funny in concept it's funny as a parody and it's funny as a social commentary as right. well could you imagine if dan Harmon, chris miller and phil lord got together and did a project i i would i would invest in that before i even knew what it was i don't care what they yeah. do they could be like they're gonna make a series of five minute toilet paper commercials and i'd yeah. be like i am on board with that. And honestly, I kind of felt the same way. I was super excited about Rick and Morty because, and this is going to be a little controversial now, but the the animator who paired or partnered with Dan Harmon to make Rick and Morty. Justin Roiland. Justin Roiland had an online series called House of Cosby's. Yes, I've heard about that. That 
he did all the voices for, but the, the concept of it was basically a reality show style house where every iteration of Bill Cosby lived in it together. So you had like Ghost Dad. You had Bill Ghost Cosby. Dad Bill Cosby, Cosby Show Bill Cosby, Jello Spokesman Bill Cosby, um, Richard uh, Leonard Six Bill Cosby, and he just did all the impressions and they just would argue and live together. And it had the same sort of feel to it of a bunch of layers, really satire and hilarious jokes. So when he joined together with Dan Harmon, I knew I was in for the long haul. And this is another one of those shows where as soon as I watched the first episode, you're like, I'm in, I'm in forever. Right. I 100% agree. Um, so that's why it's on my number three, bro. That's why it's my number two. That's solid. I know I spoiled it and we're going to have a short commercial break when we come back, but that's my number two, and it is a strong number two. It's totally fine. So did you run through your five through three? Uh, no, I'll do that right now, though. Yeah, do that. Uh, so my number five was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip from Aaron yep. Sorkin. <clears throat> my number four is The Tick from Barry Sonnenfeld. And my number three is Firefly from Joss Whedon. And uh, spoiler alert, my number two is Clone High from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Boom! Now I want to hear yours, Q. My top five through three are uh, number five is Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. from Carlton Cuse. I've got uh, number four is Wonder Falls from the brilliant Brian Fuller. And my number three is Clone High, also from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, Amazing. Boom! I'm liking these lists so far, man. So I'm excited to get through these fucking sponsors and get right back to this show. Yeah, so you know what? Without further ado, here's some sponsors. Welcome to the most wondrous auditorium of Edgar Bibbles. Edgar Bibbles, you may have heard from his wondrous reputation as a world traveler in the United States Farter. Uh, I gotta get some shit, man. Uh, have you been to the, the meat, weak, and tweaked humble meth dispensary? Drinks! We buy your used beverages. Too many people tell you that you look like Ernie Hudson. I smell cheese, and it's not the good kind. Oh, sponsors! Fuck, it's over, and we're back. That means already. We get, that means we get to do our two and one. Should now. we do my two and one? <laughs> yeah, we should definitely do your two. So, um, I don't know. Spoiler alert, everybody! I don't know if you'll know this, but my number two was Clone High. What? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kind of gloss over that in, in, a, <laughs> in a Brian Fuller way and oh, um, and move on uh, to my number one. All right. Since we've already talked about my number two. Let's do at it. At length. You're going to move on just like a lot of these these uh, studios did from these shows. Yes. Um, so my number one is, uh, at this point, should probably come to no surprise for people who are fans of television, and also has a large name attached to it, as as is the theme of my list. Ooh. It's Freaks and Geeks. Of course. From Judd Aptow. I mean, of course. Of course. In my opinion, that is the best, highest quality one-season run of any show that's ever existed. Right. Because of just all the different aspects of what made it great. Now, this was before anyone really knew who Judd Apatow was. You know, he had been a writer on some other things. He'd done like the Larry Sanders show and some other things like that, but no one really knew the name Judd Apatow like we know him today. And him and uh, Paul Feig, 
who yep. also is was at the time pretty unknown, and now we know him from just about everything, from Bridesmaids to Heat to Spy to the Ghostbusters remake that we uh, will not mention. <laughs> um, <clears throat> hmm? What? Exactly. The what? Freaks and Geeks was one of those, I would say, lightning in a bottle shows. Oh, for sure. On the fact that it was basically an after-school special-themed high school dramedy that was so realistic that it was almost uncomfortable. Yes. But it was also hilarious at the same time. And when I say it was quality on every level, like the cast for people who aren't familiar with this cast, Holy shit, dude. Before anyone really knew who a lot of these people were, I'll just read off the names of the main characters. Yeah. These are the main characters. Yep. So, uh, Linda Cardellini, which, by the way, this truly established my huge crush on oh, her. Oh, for sure. As from her role in Boy Meets World, where she broke up Corey and Topanga, yep. I had a crush on her there. Sure. To this show, where and she was... And then only solidified <clears throat> by her playing Velma in Scooby-Doo. Exactly. <laughs> she was the hottest Velma I'd ever seen. For sure. So it established a huge crush that I had on her. And then outside of that, we have John Francis Daly, who people know from almost everything now. And he's writing. A shit ton of stuff. He's now. writing and directing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Seth Rogen. Who's that guy? Yeah. The introduction of James Franco. Who's that? Jason Siegel. Oh, I know him. Basically his introduction. Sam Levine, who I think is really funny and does not get enough credit, by the nope. way. Um, Martin Starr. Yeah. Um, which. He's on Silicon <coughs> Valley now. He's my. He's one of my favorite Gilfoyle. characters. He's one of my favorite characters. And he couldn't be more different than his character no. in, uh, <laughs> in uh, Freaks and Geeks. Uh, Busy Phillips. Yep. Who a lot of people know. Joe Flaherty, who a lot of people knew him at the time. Yeah. And absolutely. then um, one of my favorites, Tom Wilson. Yep, Biff that Tannen. Is, that is Biff right. Tannen. As uh, whose dad mm. is it? It's uh, no, he's not a dad. He's the gym teacher oh, who dates right. Martin Starr's You're mom. Right. I was thinking of there's one of the dads. It's uh, Jason Siegel's dad. Right. He's also a well known character actor. Oh yeah, and I'm blanking on his name. And I I get him <clears throat> and Tom Wilson? Tom Wilson confused a yeah. lot. Well, a lot of people mix up Tom Wilson and like the comedian Tim Wilson because they're both comedians. Um, and they both play guitar and sing, but Tom Wilson, better known as Biff Tannen uh, or president Trump, um, was in the show as the fantastic, (laughs) just gruff mean to all the freshmen. You mean Uh, Griff Tannen? (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, I didn't No, And then, you know, on the production side, we have Judd Apatow and Paul Feig, who we've already mentioned. But the other thing about this show was the music. Yeah. Oh my God, the music was so good. Like, this, okay, this show by itself established a lifelong love of the Allman Brothers song Whipping Post for me because of one particular scene. And it's the scene when Tom Wilson is revealed as sleeping with Martin Starr's mother, and Martin Starr is sitting at the kitchen table, and Whipping Post starts to play, and Tom Wilson walks in slow motion in the mother's bathrobe takes his ex dad's coffee cup and just stares at him while he drinks coffee. (laughs) And I love that scene so much. And that song is so well used there. 100%. But I mean, even, you know, from the credits using Joan Jett to everything about the, the time period of them picking good music to put behind it. It is 
repeatedly rewatchable as you can pick up little things every single time you watch the show. And you can just love it on so many different levels. I love it. Um, now, at, to kind of go with my theme of why this show was canceled, this is another one where I 100% blame the studio. Absolutely. Right after the pilot got picked up by NBC, the network changed the president. They, they fired the, the other guy resigned, and they hired a new president who was basically a trust fund baby and had come from the CW managing shows like Dawson's Creek and other teen dramas like that, and has publicly stated that he, quote-unquote, doesn't understand public school because he only experienced private school. So he had a huge problem with the way that Judd Aptow was trying to portray realistic problems for these kids to the point where he would give notes basically saying, these kids don't win enough. When is Sam Levine's character going to make out with a, a cheerleader? Right. And he wanted it to be a Dawson's Creek type show, and Apatow refused. It wasn't anything that he never gave in to anything. So far as he went the opposite way and started writing in storylines that he knew would make the NBC president mad. Sure. Like There's a storyline in the show, spoiler alert, that Seth Rogen's girlfriend is basically revealed to be a hermaphrodite. Yes. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Apatow wrote that in purposely to piss off the NBC president because he knew it would just be another notch in his own belt of writing quote unquote realistic problematic efforts for these kids. Like these kids lived in a real world high school where everything sucks. Spoiler alert to all of our elementary school listeners, high school sucks. And this show captured that almost perfectly. Not only that, as we've talked about sort of the the doldrums of network television, sure. this was scheduled because of that president on Saturday night at 8 p.m. against Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which was the biggest show in the world at that time. Right. Because this came out 1999. So it had everything going against it. And like Seth, Seth Rogen has honestly said that he still holds a grudge about how that show kind of came about and fell through. And he was at a press conference for a movie later down the road, and he re-saw the NBC president and confronted him about it and basically poked holes in all of the theories. He's like, well, why did you cancel the show? He's like, well, I gave Judd notes, and he would never accept them. He's like, that's probably because your notes were shitty. Right. And he, like, laid into this guy. Because he can, because it. he's Seth Rogen. You're exactly, yeah. Right. And then he goes, <laughs> probably. And then he smoked a joint with him. <laughs> right. So that, that to me, is this, in my mind, is the epitome of a good one-season-long television show that just did not get <coughs> the push, the promotion, and the support that it needed to be as successful as it should have been. I could not agree with that more and just a fun little so i'm gonna go ahead and reveal since we're revealing things and it's about to come up anyway this is my number two i mean fantastic this show. is my number two on my list So this is a great segue so let's just go right into yeah. your number two because my list is done now so my number two is freaks and geeks yeah what do you know is ghostbusters <laughs> the 20 is that 86 it's that 80 show yeah, yeah yeah uh so the Hasselhoffs. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I can also gloss over this in a very Barry Sonnenfeld kind of way. <laughs> um, 
I won't go into it too much, but a little thing I'd like to add. Something cool that I would like you, if you haven't already, and any of our listeners to go out and check this out. Uh, look up, there is a Vanity Fair interview with Paul Feig, who, or Feige, or Feige, 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 Feige. Uh, no, no, where, he's the Marvel guy, where he gives, <laughs> yeah, Paul Feig, the outcome of all of the characters from Freaks and Geeks. I actually did see this because Linda Cardellini's character left at the end of the season to right. follow miss, the Grateful Dead. Yep. She missed school and she wasn't going to summer school and she was going to just be on a, like a drug trip. The yep. entire second season. Yep. And uh, so they have, they give short little, or he gives short little kind of updates on like yeah. what ha- would have happened had the show continued and maybe where some of the characters would have ended up. And it's pretty fucking fascinating. It makes me so upset that they didn't get a season two. Exactly. Because a lot of the, like where they were going with it, I was like, that would have been fantastic. I would have to loved see. to see John Francis Daly's character as a sophomore join the drama club. Absolutely. And they also were talking about uh, Martin Starr's character, uh, Bill Haverchuk how his mom is dating Coach Fredericks. And so they were saying that he would, Bill would slowly become a jock. (laughs) Yeah. And so the concept was... And he's so opposite of that. (laughs) And what's funny is they said that actually, apparently Martin Starr is a very athletic person in real life. And they said that he would work out a lot and he would come in to film the show and have like giant biceps and they had to have him stop working out <laughs> to play his character. Because well, they needed him super lanky. I mean, there's right. that one dance scene where he's like dancing all nerdy. And they look like you're looking like you're having a seizure. Right. And he's just like the nerdiest kind of hunched over dude. So his that was one of my favorites. <clears throat> they were saying that his character would slowly turn to the jock and it would create a rift between him him and the other guys yeah um as he developed you know his <laughs> athletic skills um but they had that they had uh james franco's character daniel desario he would possibly end up in jail one uh, of the studio notes was they wanted james franco to take off his shirt more because he was a heartthrob he was unknown at the time right everyone knows james franco now but he was unknown when he got cast for and that he's taken off a lot more than his shirt <laughs> yeah but they wanted him to take off his shirt, and Apatow was like, "It's not that show. Like that's right. not that's what this not show what is. This is. He's a he's a stoner. Like he's a freak. Right. Like he doesn't do that. Right. And so it's it's a very interesting article. So check it out, Vanity Fair. I think it was from like 2012. Um, but Paul Feig gives a really awesome rundown of all the characters and what would have happened to them. Um, so that I is. I want a thing. that season. I want the season of that show. So that's my number two. Ah, oh, so good. Number two, and my number one is. Firefly. Firefly. Yeah. yeah, of course it is. Yeah, um, I figured it would be just knowing your love for Joss Whedon. Now, I, you know, also, I'm not going to touch too p- terribly much because we did talk about it at length. But I wanted to kind of touch on one thing in regards to why it holds the number one mm-hmm. spot for me. Okay. So for me, Firefly is the perfect example and really one of the only ones on either of our lists that actually came to an ending. So it actually got what it deserved post its first season cancellation. So it got not only a continued story of the line through comics, but it received a fine a finale movie that yes. wrapped up its storylines, wrapped up all of its characters and gave closure to what was began in the television series. And I can honestly say I don't believe that you had anything or I had anything else on our list where any of them got that other than no. this Paul Feig article where he kind of gives 
a you know verbal yeah. recount of what would happen to the characters. Well, and that's not a conclusion of those characters. That's no. a continuation of where they ended on the first season. Right. Like none of my shows had any sort of ending whatsoever. Right. They just sort of ended the season. And that was it. And that was it. And so the reason it got my number one best of, you know, one season shows is because it actually is the only one to achieve that completion of its story arc because people cared about it so much and they pushed so hard. So like I mentioned earlier, those brown coat fans, they ain't nothing to fuck with. No, they're not. I mean, and I mentioned it. It almost sounded like an offhand comment, but there was literally what they called a cult of serenity. Yeah. And they pushed for the support of this show. So hard. So hard. And I would have to agree with you on that is while I like Freaks and Geeks better and I think as a concept and how it was done is higher quality. I'm I'm not going to sure, say yeah, that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yours does exist as a possibly self-contained aspect asset like a thing all right it's done the story is now complete yes like joss whedon went back and with serenity the movie was able to go okay well the, here's the completion of their story arc uh-huh. you are not out anything yeah uh, he even, didn't go the hero's route where he made a shitty comic book no and then no, came no. back and they were in a carnival none no, of that no, none of that none, none of that. that nonsense they he literally went okay well since we're not going to get any further seasons i'm going to write a movie and he directed it as well He's like, I'm going to write and direct this movie, and it's going to give you closure for all of your characters, and that'll yeah. be it. Like, this will be their arc. Yeah. And so it completed it, and that's why I said that you almost maybe did yourself a huge disservice by watching it backwards because right. you're, I could totally see how that would be confusing. Also, it's a very odd thing and very rare that a movie gets made that is so reliant on you knowing the right. story beforehand. Well, and that was my problem with the movie is because I came in, they marketed that movie not as a continuation no. of Firefly, but as this great epic sci-fi, sci-fi movie. movie. And I was like, oh, I like sci-fi movies. Let me watch this. And I watched it. I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something. Right. Like I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. That was a movie that was truly made for the fans. Like that was one of the only times I've ever seen a studio actually make a movie for no one else but the fans. Hashtag one season in a movie. Right. Pure fan service. It was amazing. Like, I've never seen that. Um, So that's why it holds my number one spot is it it managed as a one series show or one season show. It managed to accomplish things that none of these other series were able to accomplish. Right. And so that's why I would still push one. back and say that Freaks and Geeks is better. It is, but that better. is a valid, valid reason for it being number one. Sure, sure. So that's uh, so that's it. So you want to recap your list? Yes, I will go through my five. Um, Jay's uh, list, as I like to call it, the best list. All right, fair um, enough. But number five is uh, Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip from uh-huh. Aaron Sorkin. Uh, number four is The Tick from Barry Sonnenfeld. Number three is Firefly from Joss Whedon. Number two is The Wonderful Clone High from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And number one is Freaks and Geeks by Judd Apatow and Paul Feig. I love it. And and now my list, or as I like to refer to it, the guest list. <laughs> uh, my list is number five, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., created by Carlton Cuse. We've got number four, Wonder Falls, curated and created by Brian Fuller. We've got... Clone High at number three from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. We've got Freaks and Geeks at number two uh, from Paul Fagg and Judd Apatow. 
And then number one, we've got Firefly from the grand poobah himself, Joss Whedon. I, I love this list. I love both of our lists. And I think, to wrap it back to what we said at the beginning, there is no way that anyone could watch through these shows and, and claim that one-season shows don't have the validity or quality. These shows were shows that got screwed over and deserved more than they got. I 100% agree, and I say to all of those haters and naysayers out there, fuck you. I wish you had one season of your life. I would, I would, second, I would second that fuck you, and I would raise you a fuck you to death. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Fucked to death. Fucked to death. Well, I think on that note, that's a great way to introduce our sponsors. I know. I, I think so, Just too. Just fucked to death. Um, and when we come back from commercial, we're actually going to play a game directly related to one-season television shows. Which and I it's, am. And it's going to make both of us show a little bit of our singing chops. Oh, fuck. So definitely stay to tuned. Death. Yeah. Definitely stay tuned for that. Um, before we head to commercials, yes. uh, do you want to plug Bill Murray Bingo? Yeah, let's do it. So we here at High Five have created and uh, host... Bill Murray Bingo, the last Wednesday of every month at the Crying Wolf, which is a bar in East Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and we it is exactly what the fuck it sounds like. It's bingo. It's Bill Murray. There's prizes. It's free to play. But you got to buy some motherfucking booze. Cause I mean, it, and you're going to want to. Yeah, because it ain't fun to play Bill Murray Bingo not drunk. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, it is, but it's more fun. Preferably drunk. tequila shots. De- 100% tequila shots. Yeah. But come out, The Crying Wolf, East Nashville, last Wednesday of every motherfucking month. Or you'll get fucked to yeah. death. So now that we've sponsored ourselves, let's listen to some other sponsors. Um, if you change the channel, make sure to pop back here in a few minutes because we're about to play some games. And if you don't, you'll get fucked to death. <laughs> Our secret ingredient is hate. And I said, that's not my elbow, that's my bassoon! Pygmy puff? More like pygmy enough. It may smell like butter, but trust us, it's not. You can find us right off of Highway 90, right next to the used sock suspender emporium. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're gonna have to to curb our original game. Yes. So for everyone listening, this is game time. Uh, now that we're back from commercials, and the original <laughs> plan for this game was to, for us to compete in singing one season long um, television theme songs to each other. Correct. And one of the theme songs that we had selected. <laughs> Was from the 1990s Uncle Buck television show with the theme song as written and performed by Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> and we have decided to to retranscribe this game into sharing with you, the audience, this awful, awful song to this awful, awful show and trying to transcribe and translate the lyrics as we go because we realized so while the other while we were pulling lyrics for the other theme songs we realized that the lyrics are nary to be found for this song on the internet i think milsap is so upset by the existence of this song that he's scrubbed the internet of he it he pulled a lucas his, his like sex with the star wars holiday special exist all over the place but this <laughs> he was like is no completely gone they can the know internet. about the fuck but they ain't yeah. Won't know about the buck. <laughs> he called 
he called Al Gore directly and was like, I need your help, Ali G. <laughs> Please remove it from <laughs> your <laughs> internet. <laughs> now, luckily, we found a video online of the opening credits theme song. And we're going to, with you, our audience participants, mm -hmm. dissect this song. Lyric by lyric. So the first is, uh, should we just listen to the whole thing and then dissect it? Or should yeah. we do it line by line? Um, I say we... Do you want to play it and then we both sing along to it? Sure, we can. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, here, for your listening pleasure, yes. is the Uncle Buck 1990 TV theme song. Yes. Performed... And loved by Ronnie Millsap. <laughs> Okay, so we've decided to transcribe these lyrics after listening to that beautiful... And we're going to break them down for you guys. Because we're starting to realize that... that uh, Well, we're going to help... First, we're going to help you save money on your car insurance. But then also, we needed to discuss, what the fuck does this theme song mean? I thoroughly believe that Ronnie Millsap had the task of figuring out at least eight rhymes for Uncle Buck that he could say on the radio. Right. Can't and television and primetime television. Can't use fuck. You, and And Guck's not a word. Right. But I also think I think the studio note may have been something like, We need you to distill down the character of Uncle Buck and really communicate so, that through a theme song. So here's the first line here's the first two lines. Uncle Buck. Who's going crazy taking everybody with him? It's Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. So who's who's living life to his own oh, kind of rhythm? It's Uncle Buck. It's Uncle Buck. That's it's Uncle who. Buck. That's who. Who's going crazy and taking, taking everybody, everybody with him? It's Uncle, it's Buck. Uncle Buck. Which honestly, so far, off to a pretty good start. Solid. That's that's I, I can see John Candy. Embodying both of those yes. things. Ronnie Millsap doing a good job. Here's where things start to go off the rails. <laughs> okay. What? He was born to be loud. Something, something crowd. I think I figured it out. You okay. Ready? He was born to be loud. Play it again real quick. Okay. He was born to be loud. <laughs> Like a screaming Wrigley crowd? No, maybe. I think so. Does it take place in Chicago? No. <laughs> uh, uh, let's 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 listen li with that that thought in mind. Buck, 
Right, it's a screaming Wrigley crowd. So great, something rhymes with loud. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "That's a very specific crowd, though." And again, the movie did not take place in Chicago. No, I'm pretty sure it did not. It's Milwaukee or something, I right? So, okay, yeah. so Wrigley, nothing to do. <laughs> Nowhere near where yes. Uncle Buck was. I, I, Uncle Buck is loud, sure. But shouldn't they have picked something else for <laughs> why a screaming Wrigley crowd? Maybe because <laughs> time signature match? I guess. Okay. I don't know. All right, here we go. Here's where we start to get some jucking and jiving. <laughs> That's the loud. That's the what you do. The complaining about. I like that. Yeah. He's the one the neighbors call you complaining about? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. It's Uncle Boo. Uncle Buck. Okay. Who's flying high on style and, and a whole, whole lot of luck? luck. <laughs> <laughs> book. No, no, not. Oh, that's it. He's not very stylish. No. Here's, not, I don't think at any point in the Uncle Buck movie they reference the fact that John Candy was extremely stylish. <laughs> okay. The next one is maybe the best line of the whole thing. <laughs> so wait, wait. I'm going to pause and let you think of what you think he just said. And I almost guarantee you he's wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> okay. So the line as we've deciphered it is uh, to rhyme with who's flying high on style and a whole lot of look is who's sliding by on jive and a whole lot of shuck, <laughs> which Q, you pointed out that you think it's a reference to shucking, shucking and, and jiving, jiving, which may be racist. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a racist. Um, that's a ra- oh racist Ronnie Millsap. Uh, well, probably. It's totally what it is. Okay. There. It's a walking New, New Year's, Year's Eve. Eve. Wears his heart, heart out on, on his sleeve. sleeve. He's a party guy who cares. He's an emotional party guy. Yeah. Okay. So I looked up the definition <laughs> for shucking and jiving. Oh my god. All right. Shucking and jiving is a slang term for the behavior of joking and acting evasively. It says more generally, the term can also refer to speech and behavioral mechanisms adopted in the presence of an authoritative figure. Nope. So what? Nice try, Millsap. <laughs> what? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, he's a walking New Year's Eve, wears his heart out on his sleeve. If he didn't make you smile so much, you'd ask him to leave. <laughs> I feel like it took a downturn yeah, there. <clears throat> and uh, So let's listen again. It's Uncle Buck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to <laughs> revisit Shuck and Jive one more time. <laughs> okay. Because this lyric is really bothering me. Uh, 
it also says so the urban dictionary has shucking and jiving <clears throat> is um it's stating actions that african americans would employ in order to deceive racist euro americans in power that sounds more like uncle buck right that sounds 100 like percent. he's trying to act super white so that the racists <laughs> won't lynch him that, <laughs> that that's pretty much the premise of the uncle buck movie and one, television show 100 percent. Yeah. do you think that they based the mike epps version of uncle buck off of that single lyric from this theme song <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> they were like, wait a minute. That's something that needs to happen. Tyler Perry's Uncle Buck. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that's where it went. Um, I think if we, if if, it, if I'm not mistaken. Uncle Buck. Who's sliding by on driving a whole lot of shit? Who's sliding by on driving a whole lot of shit? Oh yeah, <laughs> yep. That was that was amazing. That's definitely where that, we got that. That was amazing. Do we want to? Um, Can you find? Did they have a theme song for the Mike Epps, Uncle Buck? Let's see. I want to hear. Did Ronnie Millsap come back for that? <laughs> I can't. I cannot believe uh, <coughs> that that happened. That's amazing. What if they just reused this song? Is that is that not one of the most bizarre theme songs that you've ever heard? It's, it's it's like I don't know why. It's oh. basically the Cosby Show theme. Who gets by driving a whole lot of shuck? It's Is Uncle Buck. Oh, oh man, that was fun. That was amazing and not quite a game. I I got I got nothing but after that. I will say that 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 wholly worked out better than the game. Also, don't forget to tune in. To our brand new podcast that's going to run for one season. It's Is That Theme Song Racist? (laughs) (laughs) Coming soon to the High Five Media Network. Is That Theme Song Racist? Season one. Be sure to check it out. Before you check that out, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can find us just by searching High Five the Podcast on Twitter. It's actually High the Number Five the Podcast. Right. Um, check out our Letterboxed account under High Which Five the Podcast. Awesome. We got all sorts of reviews up there. Uh, a lot of reviews, a lot of lists, and then you know, be sure to review um, the site anywhere that you listen. Where iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Give Stitcher. Give us five stars, guys. Yeah, we deserve it. We deserve it. Uh, Ronnie Millsap does not. Al Jarreau does <laughs> not. Um, but us give their stars to us. So get, you know, go ahead and review. If you like the show, it helps us out a lot and helps us show up and get some more listeners. And, um, yeah. Email us at, uh, hot, my five at high five, the podcast.com. Especially if you have something to add, did we forget a show that's your favorite that only ran for one season? Let us know. Um, I mean, like, did you really love undeclared? Yeah. Did you think the grinder should have lasted much longer than it did? Not the app. Yeah. The show. What about? Working with Fred Savage. Right. You know, should we have included the crazy ones with Robin Williams because you love Robin right. Williams? Cavemen, the Let- Geico commercial yeah. TV show. Murphy's Law or my personal favorite, the Hasselhoffs. <laughs> Just let us know. Yeah. What did we forget? Let us know what we should have had. And in the meantime, when you're in between listening to our shows, if you want to see our dumb faces in person, Come on down to the Crying Wolf. Yeah. Last Wednesday of every motherfucking month. There's We're prizes, playing. there's booze, there's Bill Murray. There should be you. Yeah, be there. Or be fucked to death. <laughs>
And that's a wrap, everybody. Cut, Casper. That's a wrap. Cut, printed. What happens in the next reel? Cut. Okay, that's a print. Okay, cut. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, people. Now let's get the hell out of here.